Man, it's good to see you. Happy Easter, Resurrection Sunday. I'm, if you're a guest, I'm David. I'm the pastor, and we're just so glad you're here uh, to worship the risen Lord with us, celebrate Easter. We're in a series entitled The Call. Uh, we've looked at the, uh, the, the, the call to follow. We've looked at the call to go. We're going to end today with kind of an Easter message about the resurrection entitled The Call of the Resurrection. And uh, the passage today is found in Luke chapter 24, and verse 44 goes like this. He said to them, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written, that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So what I want you to see on this Easter Sunday and get from this message is simply this. Christianity rises and falls on the resurrection of Jesus Christ and your forgiveness of your sins and your salvation rises and falls on your commitment to the resurrected Jesus. It's just that simple. If you not have a life that is committed, that's given over to the resurrected Jesus, to the Christ who rose from the dead, you cannot have forgiveness of your sins, cannot have Salvation. So I'm going to share some things with you today. And the first thing from this passage that I kind of want you to see, or at least get background on this passage, is I want you to look at the world of Christ. Because it helps to understand something about the world that Jesus came into. And the world that Jesus came into was a world where people lived, as they had through most of human history, under real oppression. I mean, people weren't really free. Most people uh, were born into poverty. They didn't have much money. They lived day to day. Uh, most of them were die poor. There was little, very little chance to ever kind of expand your economic horizons unless you were already rich. And most people lived subject to someone who had uh, the power to decide whether they lived or died. I mean, they, they lived with someone who was a ruler or a king, an emperor, someone who ultimately could decide the, the outcome of their life. And so if some king, some ruler decided, or some enemy came and, and, and fought them and conquered them and put them to death, I mean, they, they were doomed. They, they had no freedom at all. And not only this sense of oppression that existed economically and politically, but even from the standpoint of faith, religion, there was no hope. You know, most people worship gods that they kind of created. And when they created these gods, they created them and reminded them of humans, and, and humans are fundamentally sinful and evil, and so their gods were basically that way. And when they worshiped gods, it wasn't because they loved them or adored them. It was to try to manipulate them to give them what they wanted. But since these gods weren't real, they never got what they wanted. And they just live with this oppression. And they live with the oppression of sin because man has spent his time on this earth rebelling against God. I mean, from the very beginning, from the sin of Adam and Eve, from that point forward, man just rebelled against God to live their life the way they wanted to. And so this was just kind of this oppressive world at the time of Christ. Now, there was a group of people we, we know as Jews who had truth. I mean, God, God had given them truth to share with the world. They never really did that. But they had taken the truth even, and they had twisted it, and they contorted it. And so then when Jesus came, the, the truth that you must worship God and come to him in faith had been changed into a system based on being good enough and doing certain acts of righteousness and you living your life according to a system of rules that made you right or wrong with God. And Jesus said, that's just not the way it's supposed to be. And so he came into this mess. 
But the good news for all of that is that still within all this, in, in this what God had given the Jews, and God had begun to reveal himself to man, and he revealed himself in what, what they call the scriptures, what we would call the Old Testament. God had begun to real, reveal himself. God promised, promised someone would come into this world. And so God made this promise that someone would come from. And this promise was about the people who wouldn't understand it as, as what they would call a Messiah or a Christ. So even the Jews understood, even they messed things up, that God was going to send someone to deliver. They thought them, but really it was for the whole world. Now, when you come to the, what we call the Old Testament, what in Jesus' day they just called the Scriptures. They didn't have an Old and New Testament. They just had Scripture. It was divided really into three sections. There's one section was called the law, and that was like the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the stuff that Moses wrote. Then there were the prophets, and, and the prophets would be anything from historical books like Kings and Samuel uh, to the prophetic books like Isaiah, Daniel, all that stuff. And then there was something called the writings, and sometimes it was just called the Psalms because it involved the Psalms mostly, and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. And, and so they had these books. And throughout these books that God had given to them and he had revealed to the people that wrote them, there was this message, there was this thing that he was going to send this person, this someone that they knew was the Messiah who would come to be the deliverer. You go all the way back to Genesis, in Genesis chapter 3. Right after man sins and God is, is announcing punishment on Adam and Eve and the serpent, he says, but from the seed of the woman will come, from the woman will come a seed that will crush the head of the serpent. So even there, he's, he's pointing to the coming of one who would deliver humanity. In, in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, God has called Abraham to be his prophet, to be his one with which he would have this covenant. And he said to Abraham, I will bless all the world through you. Well, how will God bless all the world through Abraham? Well, we would understand it's in that coming from Abraham would come uh, a Messiah. In the Psalms, when David was writing them, in Psalm 22, he, he wrote this beautiful, beautiful song about the suffering servant, the servant who was going to suffer on behalf of the people of God. He begins, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it talks about the brokenness and, and, and the suffering he would experience. Psalm 16 is a psalm that it has in it within the resurrection of the servant who would come. In fact, both Peter in Acts 2 and Paul in Acts 13 refers to Psalm 16 as referring to the resurrected Jesus Christ. I mean, there was just these things pointing to Jesus. Then you come to the prophets like Isaiah. In Isaiah, there's this, there's this common theme of the servant who would come to suffer for humanity. Isaiah 42, Isaiah 49. In fact, Isaiah 52 and 53 is predicting the coming of the Christ, the Messiah, who would give his life for his people. So in the world of Jesus, with all this stuff going on, with all this oppression, as brutal as the world was, with all this sin, there was this promise from God for his people, for all people, that someone was coming. Someone was coming to deliver them. Someone was coming to save them. And Christ came into that world. The second thing I want you to see then is the truth from Christ. Because Christ basically said, I am that Messiah. I am the one that they talk about in the scriptures. Now, it's popular today, even within some forms of Christianity, who want to deny, in essence, that Jesus is God in the flesh and the supernatural and all that. It's not uncommon for them to say, in fact, it's quite common for them to say, that, that Jesus never claimed to be the Messiah. Sometimes people, you just need to read the Bible, okay? Because sometimes things are really, really clear. Because if there's one thing I can guarantee about Jesus, is he claimed to be the Messiah. In fact, John 14, 6, Jesus says, 
I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father by any means but through me. I'm the only way to get to the Father. I'm the Messiah. Then in John 14, 9, he says, if you see me, you see the Father. John 14, 10 says that the Father is in me and I'm in the Father. He's claiming to be God. In fact, the book of John begins, verse 1 of the very first chapter. Beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14 said the Word became flesh. The Word is Jesus. He is God who became flesh. He's the Messiah. They took uh, a man who was crippled, and they brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at the crippled man. He couldn't walk. It was an apostle. No one was going to heal him. And he said, your sins are forgiven. And the religious leaders went crazy. What do you mean your sins are forgiven? Only God can forgive sins. You're correct, Jesus said. So here's what I'm going to do. So you'll know the son of man, that is me, is God. He just said, you take up your mat and walk because I healed you. Because only God can forgive sin and only God can kill a man, heal a man who is crippled and can't walk. And when Jesus did that, when he healed him, he showed he has the power to forgive sin. He's saying, I'm God. On the cross, Jesus took Psalm 22 and he claimed it for himself and said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's saying, I'm dying for the people. I'm dying for people here. And then the scripture says that God, on the third day, raised him from the dead. And he appeared to his disciples. And in Luke 24, that's what he's doing. He's appearing to these guys. And so he's teaching them. And he's preparing them. As Luke brings this book to a close, he takes what Jesus said and and he references the past. And so you look at the past and here's what he said. Everything that was written, he's talking about what was written in the law. The prophets and the Psalms. All that stuff pointing to Jesus. All, this is what he said. All that is written about me. He says me. They said the Messiah. He said all that stuff in the scripture is written about me. That's a pretty bold claim. That is a bold claim. He's saying all of that stuff about the Messiah is about me. And all of it has to be fulfilled. And that's what he did. To fulfill means to complete in its entirety. Now, there are some things about the Messiah that we know refer to the second coming of Christ and the judgment. Well, those things he hadn't done yet because it's not time, but everything that was to be completed in his first coming, he did all of that. He completed it all. In fact, it says he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. Now, he had been teaching them for the better part of three years. And they still hadn't gotten it all. But now that he was appearing to them, he was going to make sure they understood all that stuff in the Old Testament or their scriptures was pointing to him, and he fulfilled it. And when you read the New Testament, which most of it was written by these guys, including Luke, you know, who, was, who had connections to Peter and to Paul, and, and including Mark, but all these things that were written were going back to the Old Testament, and they're saying Jesus did all that. In fact, Matthew, one of the original apostles, he begins his gospel at the Christmas story saying that the, the passage in Isaiah where the virgin will be with child, that was fulfilled in Jesus. If you go back to Isaiah seven fourteen and you read that passage, you're not thinking about a Messiah. You're thinking, well, Ahaz and Judah are under oppression from the Assyrians. And, and Isaiah's coming and he's just saying, hey, there's going to be someone who's going to deliver him. There's going to be someone to deliver your people. And by the time this young girl, this virgin, gets pregnant, has a child, they'll be delivered. God promises you that. You're not thinking Messiah. And here, Matthew says, no, that applies to Jesus. Go read the book of Hebrews. In the book of Hebrews, the guy who wrote that, he's taking all that stuff about the temple, all that stuff about the holy holies, all that stuff about the high priest, all that stuff about the sacrifice. He says, Jesus, 
fulfilled and completed all of that. So never again does there need to be the worship of the temple. That's unnecessary. Jesus did everything need to be done. He's, he fulfills it all completely. And that's who Jesus is. So he looks at them and he reaches back into the past. to say, all that stuff that was written, that's about me. So then he takes them to the present. And he says that the Christ, it's written that the Christ must suffer. And he must rise on the third day. Now the idea of suffering is to die. It's to die uh, uh, painfully. And the idea is to die on behalf of others. That's what Psalm 22 claims. That's what Isaiah 52 and 53 claims. That the Messiah is dying on behalf of other people. And so we understand that Jesus died for us. He died in our place on our behalf. He's our substitute. He's our sacrifice. He's our substitute that when it comes to the death penalty in terms of dying for our sin, he died in place of us. He's our sacrifice and that he died on our behalf to take our sins upon him. And then God raised him from the dead. And the resurrection is the key component. Because without the resurrection, nothing else really matters. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, Christianity is just a fraud. And so the major battle in the world we live in today is to somehow disprove or discredit the resurrection of Christ. Because if Christ really did rise from the dead, then he's the only one who's going to save mankind. You've got to believe that. And we hear all sorts of things today. Like we hear people say, well, you know, y'all claimed there was an empty tomb. But really, there wasn't an empty tomb. They just went to the wrong tomb instead of the right one. I'm like, do you think people back then were just dumb? I mean, were they just all out stupid? I mean, the, the, the Jews and the, and the Romans went to all this work to kill Jesus. And then the apostles come and say, Jesus is resurrected. And they're like, oh, man, what do we do? He's in this tomb, but do we point it out to them or not? I mean, Acts chapter 4, Peter and John are in front of the same guys that killed Jesus. And say, you know, Jesus, you crucified him, but God raised him from the dead. If they went, they went to the wrong tomb, if he was still buried, they could have said, time out, guys. Come over here. You went... He's in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. You went to Joseph of Damascus. You got the wrong tomb. Those guys weren't idiots. Man, that's just a knucklehead was preaching and proclaimed something like that. Or some people say, well, the disciples stole the body of Jesus. Well, if you're going to steal the body of Jesus, first of all, you've got to be convinced in your heart that Jesus had preached and predicted that he would rise from the dead. The apostles didn't believe that. When Jesus died, they scattered. They were scared. On Easter Sunday, you know who went to the tomb? It was a group of women. Women. They went. And when they got there, they weren't looking for an empty tomb. They went there because they were going to take the body of Jesus and anoint it. And when they got there, he wasn't there. And they went back to Peter and John and the other guys. He's not there. And like, what do you mean he's not there? What happened? And they went to see for themselves. They didn't understand the resurrection. And even if Jesus had peered to some of them, a few of them, like Thomas, who hadn't seen Jesus yet, looked at the other guys and said, I don't care what you saw. Until I see Jesus, I'm not believing because dead men don't rise. And then Jesus appears and says, here I am. I mean, he rose from the dead. All the evidence points to that. Besides, the disciples couldn't steal the body of Jesus because the high priest Caiaphas was afraid they would do just that. He was afraid they might steal it. So in Matthew 28, you know what he does? He goes to Pilate and he says, I'm afraid that the disciples might steal the body of Jesus and claim he was resurrected. So would you do me a favor and put some soldiers in front of that? And, and Pilate put probably about a dozen of the finest soldiers you had. Now, if you've seen the movie Risen, it's a great movie. The one thing I take issue with is they have Pilate putting like two Roman soldiers in front of the tomb and they were half drunk, you know? 
He didn't put a couple of alcoholics to guard the temple. He put some really strong soldiers. So you're going to take a, a, a handful of fishermen are going to go to steal the body of Jesus, and they're going to whoop a dozen of the finest soldiers in the world, and none of them are going to die, and all the Roman soldiers are going to die. And if by chance that miracle happened, Pilate's going to say, well, I guess, you know, these Jewish guys killed a dozen of my best men, but I'm going to let that slide because I'm not a vindictive, mean, evil person at all. I mean, come on, man. Some things are just out and out ridiculous. Jesus appeared to people. And I know it's popular to say, well, all these appearances were just hallucinations. Now, listen, I'm not an expert on hallucinations. I know some of you from the 60s and 70s are, but, you know, you know how that goes down better than I do. I'm from the 70s, but I was part of the 70s that we didn't do that stuff like you other guys did. I'm just kidding, I think. But here's the thing. You don't hallucinate over things that you don't think are real. That you don't expect. The hallucination would mean that they were expecting it. They weren't expecting it. Besides that, James, the brother of Jesus, Paul said, Paul tells us that James saw Jesus. James was not a believer in Jesus until Jesus appeared to him. He wasn't hallucinating. Paul was out to kill Christians until Jesus appeared to him. Paul wasn't hallucinating. In fact, he appeared to over 500 people at one time. Masses of people don't have hallucinations. No, this is real. You have the death and the resurrection of Jesus. In fact, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3, this is the gospel message, that Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures, was buried, he was raised back to life on the third day according to the scriptures, and people have seen him, and they've all seen him. Jesus says Christ must die and be raised back to life. And oh, by the way, here I am right in front of you. And not only that, here's what he said. This is so that the resurrection, excuse me, that the repentance for the forgiveness of sins might be proclaimed in my name to all the nations starting in Jerusalem. In other words, he said that repentance for the forgiveness of sins might be the central message. In other words, repentance is the idea of turning to Christ. Repentance and faith go hand in hand. They're inseparable. And so last week when I was talking about from Mark 8, 34, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Denying and taking off, speak of repentance. You're going in a direction. You're living for yourself, you're following your own path, and you realize that's not going anywhere. And instead of living for yourself, to repent is to stop and go the other way. But you have to go towards someone. And Jesus said that someone is me, you follow me. So to repent is to turn your life over to Christ, reject your sin, give your life to Jesus, so that your sins may be accounted for, forgiven. You see, you have to have your sins forgiven because your sins are what keep you from God. Your sin is what separates you from God for all eternity. God has to forgive your sin in order you to be saved. And he forgives your sin in Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus Christ came and died and why God raised him back to life. And so Jesus says, this is what you're going to proclaim. In the resurrected Christ. In me. And so then he talks about the future. And he talks about the future. This is what he says. You're witnesses of all this stuff. And so what I want you to do is understand I'm going to send the promise of the Father. That promise of the Father, go back to when Jesus talked to him in John 14, 15, 16, it's the Holy Spirit. And you will stay here until you're clothed from on high. Now, the guy who wrote Luke, Luke also wrote the book of Acts. And the book of Acts begins kind of this way with the words of Jesus in Acts 1.8. The power of the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you'll be my witnesses beginning in Jerusalem, then Judea, Samaria, and to the rest of the world. And that's exactly what happened. Notice the similarity, how Luke ends and Acts begins. In Acts 1.8, Jesus said, the power of the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Luke says, 
I'm going to send the power, the promise of the, of the Most High upon you, the Father upon you, and, and the power come upon you. And then, and then in Acts 1.8, Jesus says, you'll be my witnesses. And here he says, you are my witnesses. And then in Acts 1.8, he says, you'll start in Jerusalem and then go to the world. And here he says, you'll begin in Jerusalem and you'll preach to the world. And Lord, he's just saying the same thing. It's in reverse order. Here's the deal, guys. You're going to get the Holy Spirit. You're going to tell the world all about me. And here's what you're going to preach. You're going to preach the resurrection. That I died and God brought me back to life. The resurrection of Christ is the fundamental message of salvation. That's it. That's what we preach. That's what we do. We tell people about Jesus. Listen, if people don't want to believe in Jesus, that's up to them. If they want to say, "Uh, that's ridiculous, fine. That's their choice. People choose all the time to reject Jesus. That's on them. But here's the thing. There's nowhere else to go. Because there's no one else who will save you. Because no one else did what Jesus did. And that's a cold stone fact. No one else ever did what Jesus did. Which is have God raise them back to life. To ascend into heaven after paying the price for our sins. Which brings us then to the third thing I want to share with you. Which is the call of the resurrection. What does the resurrection mean for us? What does the resurrection do for us? And so let me just share it with you this way. I'll share a couple things. The call of the resurrection is a call to the only one. There is only one, only one who can say. Now, I know it's popular today, and I get this, especially now that we have so much you know, diversification in the world and we're so global to believe, well, there's all these other religions. Why can't they all be ways to God? It's well, simple, because according to scriptures, God said there's, there is no other way. Now, if you believe the Bible was given to us by God, and if you don't believe the Bible was given to us by God, go your merry way. It's not going to do you any good anyways. But if God reveals himself to us, and he says, I'm sending someone to you, and here's all the things that will happen, and then Jesus comes, and he fulfills all the things that are going to ha- supposed to happen, and he does them all, then here's the thing. He's the only one. He's the only one that meets everything that is necessary. First of all, he is God in the flesh. And he said he was. Now, if he's not, then he lied. And you shouldn't believe Je- if you don't believe Jesus is God in the flesh, then you believe Jesus is a liar. Don't follow Jesus if he's a liar. I don't follow liars. So if he's not God in the flesh, why would you follow him? He's lying to you. But if he's telling the truth, he's God in the flesh, and he died for us in our place and on our behalf, and God raised him from the dead. Here's all these people saying, hey, God raised Jesus from the dead. We've seen him. John would write what we've heard. What we've seen, what our hands have touched, that's what we proclaim to you. They touched the risen Lord. He's eating with them. The verses right before I read to you, he eats fish with them. Dead men don't eat stuff. Dead men become food. Things eat them. Raised back to life. Raised back to life. Only one. Only one. Now, there's lots of religious figures in the world. I get it. Some of them are pretty cool guys. They teach some pretty cool stuff. But all of them are sinful men who have followed their own way or sinful women who have followed their own way. And in the end, they die and they face God and they face God out of luck because they didn't follow Christ. But Jesus is different. He died and God brought him back to life. And the call of the resurrection is a call to the only way, the only way you can ever come to God is through giving your life to Christ. Now, I know it's popular. And listen, there are going to be in Christian churches all over the place, even in our city. 
there'll be people who are preaching messages who are going to talk about Easter, the symbolic significance, and you know, and all that it means. But they're going to basically believe that at the end of the day, Jesus was just another guy who died and didn't really raise from the dead. And they're, and they're going to they're going to probably preach that he did, but they're not going to believe it. And then a lot of folks are just going to be up there really believing that in the end, one or two things are going to happen. And a lot of people feel this way. In the end, some people believe that God will let everybody in. God's a living God. He'll let everybody in. Except everybody's rebelled against God. So if everybody's rebelling against God, and God says, you know, to overcome that rebellion, I'm going to send Jesus. If he's going to let you in anyways, why would he send Jesus? If he says, I'm just going to look over, look, all the times that you rebelled against me, denied me, cursed me, mocked me, and said I'm not here, ah, I'm going to let us overlook and all that. I'll let you in anyways. Why send Jesus? Why have all of those guys who were his apostles and all those women, why have them die for the faith? Why? That seems kind of cruel, doesn't it? It seems like God is kind of cruel and uncaring if he's going to just perpetrate this lie that Jesus is the only way and then say, ah, I'm just kidding, everybody gets in. Don't work that way, man. You're a fool to believe that. You're a flat out a fool. Some people say, well, in the end, you know, I believe in Jesus. I believe the facts about him, but ultimately, I got to live a good enough life. I'll believe all those things because I need to believe all those things. But ultimately, it's up to me, and we have this idea that somehow we're going to live our life, and God's going to weigh it all out, and he's going to let us in. Listen, in the Gospel of Luke, he talks about in the 23rd chapter, when Jesus was being crucified, there was this guy crucified next to Jesus. He was a horrible person, did not one good thing in his life, and all he did was at the end say, hey, Jesus, Lord, when you come into your kingdom, you're the Messiah, when you come into your kingdom, just remember me. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. That guy didn't do anything. Nothing. He did one thing in his miserable life after he became a follower. He died. That's all he did. That's all he did. There's nothing you can do. Jesus saved him. Him. He didn't go to church. He didn't do anything. He didn't give any money. He didn't do any good works. He didn't witness. He didn't look at the people down there and say, let me tell you about Jesus. He just saved me. No, he just died. But you know what happened? He gave his life to Christ. And that's all that matters. You see, the call of the resurrection is simply this. It is the call to give your life to Jesus. Last week, I shared from Mark 8, 34, Jesus said, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. And what I shared was you've got to take your life, and you've got to give it to Jesus. The call of the resurrection is to give your life to Jesus, to renounce your sin, to say, I can't save myself. And while I don't understand it, some things don't make sense, and I even have doubts about a few things, I know this. Jesus came into this world. He died for me. God raised him from the dead. I'm going to give my life to him because there's no other way I'm getting to God. I don't understand it. I'm trusting him with my life, and that's all you need to do. And Jesus takes care of the rest. That's the way it is. So the call of resurrection is a call for you to give your life to Jesus. So here's the thing. Have you given your life to Jesus? Not have you gone to church enough. Not have you believed all the right things. Not have you been baptized. Have you taken your life and said, I know I'm a sinner. I know I cannot save myself. But Jesus can. 
It says, Jesus, you died for my sins and gave your life for me, and God raised you back to life. I'm going to do the only thing I know to do. I'm going to give my life to you. You may even say, I don't understand everything, Jesus. You may say, there's some questions that I have, Jesus. You may even say, there's some things I'm concerned about that I don't know why this went this way. But in the end, I'm going to trust you with my life. And I'm going to follow you. And if you've never done that, why don't you just do that now? There's nothing secretive. You don't have to wait till the invitation to come forward. You can, in a minute, in an invitation to come forward and say, I need to give my life to Christ. And I don't know what to do or whatever. Or to tell us, but you can do that right now. There's nothing left to do. There's no passages of Scripture you need to memorize. There's no amount of money you need to give. There's nothing you can do but take your life and say, Jesus, I'm giving it to you now. And some of you need to give your life to Jesus right this moment. Some of you are already fathers of Christ. You just haven't been living like it. And you know that. And Easter's a pretty good day for you to say, you know, Lord, I follow you. I just haven't done it very well. And so I just want to say forgive me for my failure to live for you. I had, I had a guy from my past contact me this week and just say, I'm a follower. Pray for me. I'm struggling in my sin. Sometimes you struggle in your sin, don't you? And you know what you can do? You can take your life and say, Jesus, forgive me. I'm recommitting. I'm renewing. I'm already saved, but I'm renewing my relationship with you. Help me restore the joy of my salvation. Some of you know people who are not fathers of Christ. You need to pray for them, that they become a believer. I don't know, I don't know what God wants for you today. I mean, I can't tell you exactly what to do. But here's what I do know. When you walk out of this place today, being sure that you follow the call of the resurrection and that you give your life to Jesus. Father, it's Easter, and we celebrate, and we praise you, and we glorify you, and we honor you that Jesus came into this world. You sent him. He came on his own accord. You sent him, and he came on his own. Both those things are true. He came here, and he gave his life for us. He died in our place and on our behalf, and he took all of our sins upon him. But that doesn't do us any good, Lord. It doesn't do us any good if we don't trust him with our lives. So I pray that those who need to give their life to Jesus will today, in the name of Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, give their life to Christ. They will trust the resurrected one who gave his life to them. So for whatever else is necessary, for whatever else must happen, God put all everything else aside in people's lives. And today, let them trust Jesus. And in trusting Jesus, follow the call of the resurrection. In the name of Christ, who is our Lord, I pray, now and forevermore. Amen. Would you stand? You come. We'll be at the front if you need to come and preach.